0: Thanks for listening to the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. You can contact the show at twitter.com forward slash dwgroovecast and through Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Drummer's Weekly Groovecast.
1: Good evening. I am warning you, right now, if you
0: touch my drum, I will stab you in the neck with a knife. Ain't a fucking... Ain't a fucking... Mom! Lower it. I'm not gonna lower it! I have to do this now! I don't One, mind do it, but lower it! You to get straightened out? No, we had a problem. I mean, uh, we tried
1: to do everything we could. What do you mean? Well, you know what I mean. Nice!
0: Little trouble there. You're rushing.
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs>
0: Chronic pain is a multi-billion dollar business and a worldwide epidemic. Musicians in particular seem to suffer greatly from bouts of chronic pain. And unfortunately for our business, we are some of the least equipped through funds and insurance to deal with it properly. I know several different people, myself included, who have dealt with chronic pain and realize the hopelessness of it. Well, today is a very, very, very special treat. Um, I came to know Dr. Howard Schubiner about six years ago, although I've only recently personally met him. Howard is a doctor based in suburban Detroit, that deals with chronic pain and has had a tremendous amount of success curing even the most troubling the most difficult cases of chronic pain that he's that can really be found in medicine today. He has a very very different slant on it. He doesn't use drugs. Instead, he deals with a condition called MBS, mind-body syndrome, or You sometimes hear it referred to as TMS, Tension Myositis Syndrome. So, I reached out to Dr. Schubiner uh, a few weeks ago and told him briefly about my story and my success that I had with his methods and told him that I knew about a host of different musicians that suffered from this as well. I've actually helped some through lessons and I've helped some just through general counseling and turning them on to the different books that Dr. Schubiner and a host of other authors have penned. So he was gracious enough to accept my invitation and come on the show, and I thought, it really couldn't be a more appropriate time of the year than the holiday season to have a doctor come on and talk about chronic pain, because this is one of the times of years that it seems to flare up for so many people. So, I don't want to get too far into what this is about. I want Dr. Schubiner, the world-renowned expert, to tell you in his own words. So, without any further ado, let's speak with Dr. Howard Schubener. Are you with me, Dr. Wu? Are you really just a shadow? Folks in Groovecast Nation, I would like to let you know that we pride ourselves here at the show on bringing you a wide variety of guests. You know that aside from, of course, bringing you all these great drummers that we talk to from time to time. We also bring you some folks that are industry specialists that work in our industry making and manufacturing some of our favorite instruments. But this is a true first today. Today, we are going to bring someone who's been instrumental in really my health, and um, I want to shine a light on a subject that he is incredibly qualified, if not one of the most qualified people walking on the face of the planet today. We're going to bring our first physician on the show, and I would like to give a very warm welcome to Dr. Howard Schubiner, who is joining us from his home in suburban Detroit. Dr. Schubiner, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show.
1: Hey, Phil, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate what you're doing. and
0: I feel like this is going to be one of the audience's absolute favorite shows because I have so many friends and acquaintances that suffer from different forms of chronic pain, whether it be back pain, shoulder pain, knee pain. And I really believe that you will be instrumental in showing some different ways that this could be, right, drumming pain, wrist pain, exactly. So if you would, can you give us, and we can go into much broader detail, much more depth in a few minutes. Can you give us uh, a little bit of information about what you specialize in, what you call it and what you specialize in?
1: Okay, sure, Phil. Uh What I do is I work at the interface of the brain and the body, the mind and the body. So is our mind connected to our body? Of course it is. Do you know where you hold stress in your body? Most people do. And so what I'm looking at is something that most doctors and most people don't really understand or know about, and it's the fact that pain can be caused by the brain. It's a very simple concept. And I didn't learn that in medical school. Most doctors think if you have pain in your wrist, there must be something wrong with your wrist. Well, that makes perfect sense. Of course, there must be something wrong with your wrist. But yet, there's this cutting-edge research now showing how the brain functions, and I can tell you more about it. But the bottom line is that our brains can activate a pain in our body, in our wrist or whatever, in the absence of any physical injury. And that is a shocking, but amazingly common event. That's kind of what I do.
0: You know, I would like to add a little context to your journey into working in this realm, in this field. You mentioned when you went to med school that this was a topic that was really not broached it really really wasn't covered how did you eventually work your way around to working in this field and by the way we're going to call this this field MBS mind-body syndrome or TMS tension myositis syndrome
1: right so what happened is uh, I'd been a doctor for 20 some years and I was never particularly interested in pain I'd done a lot of other things. I was a professor at a medical school and did a lot of research, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, one day, a friend of mine gave me a book to read by Dr. Sarno, John Sarno, who's a physiatrist, a physical medicine specialist in New York City. He was. He died this year at the age of 93. And I read the book, uh, and I was just kind of blown away. I was like, whoa, this explains so much that I see all the time. And my friend who gave me the book said a friend of his had read the book, and her back pain and leg pain had virtually disappeared within a week or two. And uh, so I read the book, and I was like, this is shocking. I called Dr. Sarno on the phone. I said, Dr. Sarno, can I come work with you? And he said, sure, Howard, come and see me. And he. I flew to New York, and I worked with him for a few days, and I saw what he was doing. And I came back to Michigan, and I started a practice. I started seeing people, and this this work has become my my career. It's become my life's work, and it's affected so many people. Uh, it's been an amazing journey.
0: Well, I, I absolutely want to talk about your hands on <clears throat> experience with patients, and and I want to get especially to the treatment aspect of it because I'm sure we've already piqued a lot of interest. There's a lot of people that go, you know, oh this is this is kind of you speaking my language here a little bit and maybe we can get into that and and figure out the treatment aspect now i would like to kind of steer this toward musicians a little bit uh, because when we did our initial email consultations back and forth you mentioned that you see a lot of musicians in your practice that that's something that's fairly common yeah. um do you have any particular thoughts or reasons as to why you see that many musicians? Could it be something due to what I would call it our inherent sensitivity? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, um, I love musicians. I mean, it's a fantastic skill that people have, and they develop, and they craft, and it's the interface of of you know incredible practice and persistence and and at the interface of creativity and improvisation and ear and all that stuff. But how does a musician learn their craft? They learn it by practice and repetition. So there's two things that are going on in that practice and repetition. One is they're laying down the tracks of these neural pathways or the neural circuits for how to play a drum roll, a C scale, uh, you know, whatever it is. And those tracks are being laid down over and over and over again, and that's how you learn to do things automatically. So how do you how do you play? You know, you you play with your brain, and your your those neural pathways in your brain cause your muscles to do exactly what you want them to do. You do it so many times that it just becomes automatic. And so, neural pathways are how we learn to do anything. Well, it turns out that just as the brain learns how to, how to do certain drumming licks or guitar licks, it can learn pain. So when you touch, a, just to like a brief primer for a second, when if you touch a hot stove, your finger is not causing pain. Your brain is causing that pain because the signals go from your finger to the brain and the brain activates what we call the danger alarm mechanism which is what turns on pain. So all pain is due to that danger alarm mechanism in the brain. I have a friend who was alone at a construction site. He shot a nail in his hand by mistake, zero pain. How does that happen? He's got the nail sticking in his hand, but he was alone at a construction site and his brain had to make a decision. Just like when a kid falls on a playground, their, their brain has to make a decision. Do I cry or not? Get up and run, keep going or cry? or wait and see what my mother's you know, what look is on her face. So his brain decided apparently that it was better for him to drive to the hospital than be alone suffering in pain at a construction site. It didn't turn on any pain. So all pain is in the brain. All pain is because of that danger alarm mechanism and all pain is real. So then the, the second story, there's a guy in Britain who jumped off a scaffolding onto a nail, the nail pierced his way all the way through his boot, right? screaming in pain all the way to the hospital. They rush him there. And uh, they take his boot off, the nails between his toes. There's no injury at all. Wow. His brain turned on pain as a warning signal, as a message. So all pain is a message. You're just mistaken about the risk. But so all pain, so you can have pain, you can have pain without an injury. You can have injury without pain. And so then the third story, and I'll finish with this, is a, a doctor I met who was in the Vietnam War as a young man, and he his company got ambushed, a lot of guys died, he got shrapnel wound to his leg, had a lot of pain, got medevaced out, comes home stateside, heals up, his injury healed, all injuries heal. Make sure all your drummers and musicians understand this, if you get an injury, it will heal. Number two, his brain turned off the danger alarm mechanism, pain goes away, he's fine. 20 years later, he's walking down the street, a helicopter startles him up from behind, and he gets the same pain in his leg that he had had all those years earlier. His brain learned pain as a neural pathway, just like you learn how to do a drum lick. His brain remembered it all those years, you don't forget how to ride a bike, and then it activated it at the trigger of the helicopter. Research shows that stress and emotional emotional stress or emotional insults activates the same danger alarm mechanism in the brain as does a physical injury. So what happens to musicians? They're working hard, they're practicing hard, they're, they're drumming or they're playing guitar or violin or bass or whatever and they're working those hands and drums or hands and arms and shoulders and neck over and over and over again and maybe they get a little tendonitis or an injury and then if they stop, it'll heal, the pain will go away, and they'll be fine. But what if they worry about it? What if they're considering that their 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 job is at stake? What if they're the kind of person who puts a lot of pressure on themselves, who's got to get it just perfect? Musicians are perfectionists by nature. Have you, do you see that?
0: Uh, one, the good ones are, I will say that, I will even go so far to say, Howard, that we're obsessive perfectionists. How's exactly. that? Mm.
1: Exactly. And so when you turn your obsess- obsession to drumming, you make a fantastic drummer. What happens when you turn your obsession to the pain in your wrist? What happens when you because once you get pain, now your mind is going a mile a minute. What's going on? What did I do? Why isn't it going away? And those all those things activate the danger alarm mechanism, which activates more pain. So what happens is there's this vicious cycle of pain leading to fear of pain leading to more pain. And that becomes what the doctors will call chronic tendinitis, which in my view doesn't really exist. But how many people have you seen who say, I've got chronic tendinitis?
0: That's incredibly interesting and very compelling. Let me ask you this from all the musicians that you've seen, have Mm -hmm. you noticed is there any one particular common part of the body that musicians suffer from the most?
1: Well, mostly there it's it's hand pain, wrist pain, arm pain, neck pain. You know, they're holding their head a certain way with the violinists, mm-hmm where, you know, all the all the, the drumming with the with the wrists and the arms, and so mainly it's there. Uh you know, it can be back pain. I've seen a lot of musicians who have um, stomach pain before a, before a gig or vomit before a gig out of stress, out of nerves. You see that a lot. Uh, you see singers who uh, have trouble, you know, lose their voice. I'm sure you've heard about that. Singers, There's Certainly. a lot of famous singers who come out on stage and nothing comes out. It's like, whoa, <laughs> what happened?
0: Yeah, you know. You mentioned in one of your explanations that anxiety is an instrumental, no pun intended, instrumental (laughs) uh, component in this thing to where the mind feeds off this anxiety, turns it into a vicious cycle. Right. Right. Have you noticed that generalized anxiety or depression or any other mental ailments kind of go hand in hand with this syndrome?
1: Well yeah the the danger alarm mechanism in the brain when we're when we're under stress our brain is trying to help us to alert us and when you get a pain your brain might be saying hey you you know you broke your you know you broke your ankle and you need a cast or your brain might be saying man you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself man you know you're overwhelmed you got too much going on or you're feeling or you're really pissed off about a a manager, or a, you know a roadie, or I don't know whoever works in the musician field, or or your girlfriend you know broke up with you, and you're really pissed off, or you're sad. All those things activate this danger alarm mechanism in the brain. So any of those things can can activate pain, but those same mechanisms could also activate Anxiety or depression or uh, wanting to escape with alcohol or drugs. All sorts of manifestations of being, you know, under stress.
0: Now that we're talking about these different manifestations of syndromes, one thing that is also very common in musicians is tinnitus. Have you noticed that that could be also another thing that that. Is brought upon, or, or that is a mind-body syndrome
1: component? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen, I see it a lot. I see it just about a day, and I've had it myself. Uh, yeah. And so the, it's not to say that it. It is true that one can damage your ears by high decibel music over long periods of time. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But by the same token. I've seen this all the time. And like I say, it's happened to me where the brain can activate that sound, a high pitch sound or low pitch rumble or whatever, uh, purely because, you know, there's some stress going on or the brain's worried about something. And what's fascinating is how the brain chooses what to do when you're under stress. How does it choose? Does it choose back pain or does it choose stomach pain or headaches or tinnitus or, you know, and that. you know, We don't know exactly why, but oftentimes it chooses something that would make sense. If you're a musician, it would be hand pain or neck pain or tinnitus.
0: That's incredibly interesting because I know that the thing that really made me wake up or that made me very, very aware of I've got to get this thing cured was exactly what you mentioned a few minutes ago about common musician ailments. It was neck, shoulder, arm, and thumb pain. And those are Pretty important to a professional drummer, that's for okay. sure. And um, how
1: did how did you react when you started getting that pain? What was your thought? What was your thought process?
0: Well, I am. I have suffered from just. I guess you would call it generalized anxiety. From as a kid, just as a kid, I, my my father was was terminally ill from the time I was about six or seven years old. He passed away as I turned twelve years old, and wow. and so you know I, I had. I'm not going to sit here and play the violin, you know, but I mean, I had my certain share of emotional trauma as as a child. And it wasn't long after that. And actually during that time was when I started suffering from some generalized anxiety. And just over time, it basically manifested itself in several different ways, including some stomach issues, some pain issues, some joint There's- issues with like knee and ankle and whatnot. But to answer your question then about how I reacted... Is probably not an exaggeration to say that I panicked. Yeah, maybe not on the not on the verge of panic disorder, like a classic panic disorder where people think they're having a heart attack, but certainly from the standpoint of immediately going to what I call the worst case scenario. Exactly,
1: we call that <laughs> catastrophizing.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I had a, you know, the the, the thing that really uh, I'm going to actually say made me angry from the standpoint of getting away from traditional doctors and traditional medicine was when I went to a hand specialist that looked at my the basal joint yeah. Well, at, you know, which is at the bottom of my thumb and basically told me that I had arthritis and that I needed to stop playing drums. And he said that as cavalierly as you would tell someone, hey, you need to stop smoking cigarettes or, or just I mean, just just incredibly cavalierly. Like he does didn't realize that that's been my life since I was yeah. 12, 13 years old.
1: It's your identity. Exactly. who You are.
0: Yeah. And yeah. so that's. You know that's when I started looking at different alternatives and then eventually found my way to this which has like I said been an absolute godsend it's been tremendous now Howard, I also want to why bring don't
1: you tell why don't you tell the audience what how you found it and what what you did you know or sure i want well, because uh you know I'm sure that we can talk in the abstract but you know the real life stories are really what's most compelling and it's true that what we see all the time is that people who have stress in childhood, it yeah. sensitizes that danger alarm mechanism in the brain. And then when stress occurs in adulthood, that mechanism can easily be triggered, which can then activate a pathway, a neural pathway of pain or, other, or another symptom.
0: This is, by the way, I'm gonna say this, this is the first time I've actually had a guest interview me. It's kind of nice.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I think I can tell yeah. you, I, mean, I can tell you about my pain if you want. We can talk about that. But I think you're the musician. And well, I I, the-
0: <laughs> I, I I will give everyone the the Reader's Digest version. How's that? How how I got to it? But essentially, it was about seven seven or eight years ago when I started experiencing at first chronic neck and shoulder pain right shoulder pain I'm a right-handed drummer yeah. and over a period of time I saw a couple of orthopedic specialists who did the old thing where they would do the tests and go there's nothing wrong with you nothing wrong with you ah, you got some muscle tension up here your muscles are all tightened up you know let's let's try some muscle relaxers so you go the route of muscle relaxers and hey, you get I guess you might call it like a placebo style effect. And eventually, over a period of time, that pain stayed in my neck and shoulder, migrated down my arm, and I will never forget one Sunday morning getting up, getting into the shower, and grabbing a shampoo bottle to squeeze a little shampoo in my hand, and I had a searing pain in my basal joint of my thumb. And that's when it got really serious. It got super serious at that time. And so I went and saw a couple more specialists that resi- uh, that ended up resulting in less than desirable results. I ended up seeing a neuromuscular massage therapist who, who did certainly give me some relief, but it was never long-term relief. It would always come back. Right. And, and eventually it ended up in a roundabout way, this guy recommending a chiropractor who was significantly more than a chiropractor, significantly more than a chiropractor. As a matter of fact, in a lot of ways, he sort of he sort of poo pooed chiropractic a little bit. He, he would tell me that where he went to school, they taught him what not to do. <laughs> and that's when he turned me on to some reading and to some meditation and one of the books that he turned me on to was the Sarno book.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when I started reading the Sarno book, I literally read about myself on every page. It was like John Sarno was sitting next to me and just saying, this is you. Everything about you is in this book. And so, I mean, it resonated instantaneously with me. Yeah. So I started working With Sarno's Methods, which which we will talk about here in a little while. And that essentially then led me, again, with the obsessive personality, it led me to like, well, if a little bit is good, then a lot's going to be more or going to be better. (laughs) And so I found your book, Unlearn Your Pain, and ordered it. And your book was the proverbial boot that really, really pushed me forward. It really pushed me forward and basically cured me. And so that's how I came about it.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, I heard this story so often. And there's definitely a lot of clues to the neural pathway type pain, to brain-induced pain. And one is that the pain tends to spread over time. It tends to not go away despite an injury healing. Uh, It tends to shift from one spot to another. And it often occurs at the time of stressful life events. And, you know, I wonder, how, I'm sure you've looked back at that time in your life and thought about if there was some stress that was going on that might have triggered it. Oh, certainly. Absolutely. 100%. And most people, are, you know, they don't, you don't think about it. That's not the first thing you think of. The first thing you think of is what's wrong with my neck, what's wrong with my arm. And so the muscle relaxants and the massage and all that can... Reduce the muscle tension, but the, you're not getting to the underlying cause, which is in the brain. And uh, most one of the problems that we have in this field is that because doctors are unaware of this, they will typically give some kind of physical explanation for the pain. Now, some pain has certainly has a physical explanation. I mean, I'm a doctor; I know that. But for most people, if it's if it's an injury, it will heal. And if the pain doesn't go away for months or years, then obviously there's something else, uh, something else going on. And the explanations that people give, well, chronic tendinitis, or, or you know, there's a little arthritis, or there's a bulging disc in the neck. These are all normal findings that we don't really realize that are actually normal and not the cause of most pain.
0: There are a couple of other commonly found diseases or syndromes that I would like to get your take on that I hear from, it's really common. I hear about people suffering from them all the time. I've read about fibromyalgia in your book. Could you explain to the folks out there what you feel fibromyalgia might be and if it is certainly susceptible to being put under that umbrella of an MBS, TMS? uh, Right disease
1: yeah fibromyalgia is a classic disorder for for a neural pathway or brain induced pain for a number of reasons one is uh, it's the what it is is chronic widespread pain so it's pain in many different parts of the body below the below the belt above the belt buckle below the belt buckle right side left side uh, typically the pain will will shift from you know, one side of the body to the other, one arm to the other, one leg to one arm. So shifting pain, widespread pain. And there's absolutely no indication that there's tissue damage in the body. So no tissue damage in the body, widespread pain for no reason. Seen in people who often have uh, difficult childhoods and have a lot of stress in their life. Pain is worse with stress. Uh, And it's associated with a whole variety of other things, such as anxiety, depression, headache, irritable bowel syndrome, irritable bladder, pelvic pain. All those things are coming together. TMJ problems, tinnitus, dizziness. So it's just a classic uh, syndrome uh, for mind-body symptoms. And that's what it is. Uh, And it's also you have to rule out serious disorders like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, you know, any, any MS, HIV, etc. cetera, any serious disease. But the problem is, is that people don't want to think that it's in my head. The pain is real. The symptoms are 100% real, not imaginary, and it's not their fault. But we have a stigma against stress-induced pain. We have a stigma against psychological issues causing pain. And so it's not what people think about or not what people often want to hear. And a lot of like you read Dr. Sarno's book and you were like, yeah, this is me. Other people might read his book and say, this is, you know, this is crap. You know, my pain's real. What are you saying? So there's a lot of stigma against this that we're that we're trying to work with over time. Sure.
0: You just mentioned a variety of autoimmune uh, disorders. You mentioned rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. Now. Even those are those are widely recognized diagnosable diseases. Have you had patients suffering from those come to you and get relief?
1: Uh, yes and no. Uh, people come for those sorts of things, and the mind does affect the immune system, so that's true. Uh, on the other hand, those are not those are not, those are not purely uh, mind body issues. They definitely have some tissue damage in the body, so those people generally don't have complete resolution. So it's kind of in the middle, I would say.
0: Gotcha. What about Lyme disease? Have you had any people that suffer from like chronic Lyme disease get any um, any results?
1: Lyme disease is one of those disorders that's uh, over way overdiagnosed. So a lot of people are told they have chronic Lyme disease when they don't. So I spend a lot of, and non, now there is, there is, Lyme disease is a real disease. It's caused by a bacteria and it's carried by ticks and you can have severe effects from it. However, many people are being diagnosed by doctors who are saying that all their symptoms are due to Lyme disease and their tests aren't even showing Lyme disease But they're convinced that that's the problem and they're treating them. So this, in my view, this is a big problem. Uh, And so my job is to first make the accurate diagnosis. Is the diagnosis Lyme disease or not? Is the diagnosis rheumatoid arthritis or not? And if it's not, then if if it's brain-induced pain, then, yeah, we can deal with that. And they will get better most of the time.
0: Have you thought to yourself or theorized that once you've been diagnosed with TMS that you're always susceptible to it, similar to like someone that's an alcoholic, they're always an alcoholic. They just might be in recovery.
1: That's a great question. Uh, TMS which is what Dr. Sarno called attention myositis or attention myoneural syndrome is basically another word for brain induced symptoms in the absence of tissue damage. And, who gets that? People who are human. It's a human characteristic. I you can't find somebody who's never had a symptom when they were in, when they had stress. Everybody has it, so everybody's susceptible to it. In addition, as you point out, the people who have had more uh, severe more severe uh, symptoms of it, or it's lasted longer, or whatever. Uh, like you and like me i've had i've had i had leg pain shooting down my leg when my dad was dying 3 years ago when my mom was dying 2 years ago i had upper back and neck pain when i was in my 40s 30s and 40s i had a lot of neck pain uh, when i was stressed and trying to build my career so i've had this fair amount and i expect that i will continue to have some symptoms caused by my brain from time to time The point is that I can recognize him. Mm -hmm. Two weeks ago on Monday, I saw a guy with foot both his both his feet were hurting. He could barely walk on the on the on his floor. The next day, that was a Monday. The next day on Tuesday, I saw a woman with foot pain. And on Wednesday, I got on the treadmill and I had foot pain. (laughs) So, you know, hey, I uh, I, you know, I hadn't injured myself, and by the next day I was fine. And I realized what it was. It didn't freak me out, but it's this is this was real pain, and it was just my brain reacting to uh, one those those stories that I you know I felt for those people, and secondly, I was on a training program on the treadmill to try to up my game, which was making me a little bit nervous. So I think the combination gave me a little foot pain.
0: You know, since we're doing True Life Confessional here, I'm going to be 100% transparent and say something as well. On Tuesday, I was around a friend of mine that was suffering from a cold, Mm. last night i felt like i was coming down with something as well just the old proximity effect of being being close yep. being around him and whatnot and i think also it had something to do with with this interview as well knowing that that i'm going to be talking to somebody that's been this instrumental in recovery of some different problems <laughs> that i've had honestly i'm feeling better now just sitting here talking <laughs> to you <laughs>
1: If we're going to be 100% transparent. I have that calming, calming effect on people.
0: <laughs> you do. You absolutely do. Do you notice any spike in patient symptoms around the holidays or vacations?
1: Oh, totally. I can't tell you how huh? I've I've seen people with. Um, it goes both ways. I've seen people. I had this one woman with severe, severe, nonstop, twenty-four-seven back pain, and she was in her twenties and her x-rays didn't show anything serious. And uh, uh, she went on vacation with her boyfriend to Seattle, pain gone, comes back home, there it is again. And then she went on vacation to Europe, the worst pain she'd ever had in her life, it was way worse. And the trip to Seattle was with the boyfriend, the trip to Europe was with her family, and that was stressful. And that activated more pain. And those two stories were just shocking how powerful how powerful the brain is. So holiday, anything that brings up stressful situations. I saw a woman who had uh, typing pain. This was an amazing story. So, you know, so many people have pain in their hands, and it's all attributed to repetitive strain injury and typing. Well, we didn't have this when we used actual typewriters back in the 50s and 60s and, and 70s. Anyway... So she has it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It gets worse and worse during the week, and then it gets better on the weekend. That sounds like a structural problem. And then I asked her, I said, well, do you get pain any other time in your hands? And she said, yes, Sunday night. Just as you might have been anticipating something going on the next day, every Sunday evening her brain was anticipating going back to work, and it was turning on pain in her hands on Sunday evening, even though she wasn't typing at all. And that was the that was the detective moment, the Sherlock Holmes moment, of saying, "Oh, okay, we got this now. Now we know what it is. Now we can deal with." It. And she's fine now, because we made the accurate diagnosis.
0: Howard, we've been hinting uh, about this for a little while, but let's go ahead and now start talking about actual diagnosis and treatment, right. and and. Even if, we, even if this podcast was three hours long, which it's not going to be, but we wouldn't be able to fully and completely talk about all the treatment because it does get deep. So we'll hit the highlights of this, and, and closer to the end also, we're certainly going to give people the opportunity to contact you and to look for your books for further help. So the first thing I want to ask you, as a physician, what is the most difficult aspect of diagnosing and then recommending treatment
1: Mm -hmm. well for many people the diagnosis is extremely simple and easy chronic widespread pain no tissue damage what else is that it's got to be something something's causing this pain when there's no evidence of tissue damage and there's ongoing pain or other symptoms that's that makes a diagnosis Fifteen million people have headaches in this country. When you go to a headache specialist, they say, try this medication, try that medication, etc. But they also want to diagnose what the cause of your headaches is. But roughly only two or three percent of people with chronic headaches have a structural problem causing their headache. Ninety-seven, roughly, percent of people with headaches don't have a structural problem. So that's easy. That's an easy diagnosis to make. Irritable bowel syndrome, irritable bladder syndrome. We do the testing. Nothing's wrong. It's mind-body syndrome. When, I'm sure that you, having gone through this experience, can now recognize it in other people. Am I right? Oh, <laughs> I probably drive people crazy
0: <laughs> recommending your book and Sarno's books about this. So, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Right. So you can see it. Any So, that, so for mo- most of the people, the diagnosis is not hard. When I give lectures, I do a lot of lecturing to other doctors and I tell them the more symptoms that somebody has, the happier I am. They look at me like I'm nuts. Because you know, they don't want to deal with, you know, this person's got X and Y and Z and all these problems, but the more problems that somebody has, the more likely it is that it's a mind-body thing, that it's one thing that's putting that's causing all of these things, not 10 different diagnoses. Most people don't have 10 different things wrong with them. Right. So that so for most people it's really not that hard. With neck and back pain, I have to rule out a structural problem. The problem is as I alluded to earlier, most the majority of people who are healthy and pain-free have an abnormal MRI of their neck or back. That's a problem. So that's what I have to work with. 50% of 30-year-olds have degenerative disc disease on an MRI. of 30-year-olds have a bulging disc or more. 30-year-olds. Right. And 80% of 50-year-olds have degenerative disc disease. And 60% of 50-year-olds, these are people who are pain-free, no pain at all, have a bulging disc. So those findings, I have to ignore those. An MRI is good if you have a, a tumor, an infection, a fracture. But for these minor things that are basically normal findings, like getting gray hair, You have to learn to ignore those. But most doctors don't do that. Most doctors will get an MRI and say that's the cause of your pain. So that's a problem area that we have to deal with.
0: I I think that's incredibly important for everyone to understand because I hear friends that especially they have back pain. And one of the key, one of the buzzwords I hear all the time is stenosis. I have stenosis stenosis you know it becomes this <laughs> this very kind of a scary you know lurid type of description and again as you mentioned certain things like these bulging discs stenosis other things like that those are just common that, that that's like you said that's right. present in 80% of most people that are 50 and older
1: exactly i my neck my i've had neck pain as i mentioned the mri of my neck shows three large bulging discs pressing on the spinal cord, pressing on the nerves. And anybody looking at that, they'll go, oh my God, you must be in tons of pain. You might need surgery. You need injections. And I have zero neck pain, zero. And those findings are just part of normal aging.
0: When you begin a treatment regimen and you've done all of the tests and you've ruled out things that could be potentially causing this pain and and we're on the path of, of MBS... Right. I know that Sarno prescribed some pain medication as you were starting to get to the point of doing some proper treatment. Do you do any of that still, or do you go straight into the, the proper TMS treatment?
1: Well, most, a lot of times people coming to me are on medications, sometimes a lot of medications. Mm-hmm. I don't usually change them. Uh, my goal is to get them off of them, and usually they will get off of their pain medications and many, sometimes often other medications as well. Uh, Doctor Sarno didn't didn't use medication didn't use pain medications to my knowledge. Uh, he, in fact, he told people to stop taking the medications right away. I don't do that. I don't want people to stop right away uh, because it can create more fear. But I'd go right into the into the treatment. And the treatment consists of, there's four components to the treatment to, to make it simple. The first is education. It's the most important part. It's helping people. It's making the right diagnosis and helping people understand exactly what's causing their pain. It's teaching them about what pain is, how the brain can cause pain. It's all, it's all stuff in my book. It's all what we've been talking about. And getting them to understand that and believe that. If they really get that, like you did when you read Dr. Sarno's book, it resonated for you, it made perfect sense, when they get that, I know they're gonna get better. Because now they can really do the work of reducing the danger alarm mechanism in the brain to stop obsessing about the pain, stop fearing it, stop worrying about it, stop focusing on it, stop monitoring it. That's the second step of the treatment is to change your brain, so it's education, and then it's changing your thinking about the pain and moving forward. So you probably had to start drumming again or had to start moving your arms and neck, even though you still had some pain. Is that correct?
0: Uh, Not only that, but I actually went on a rather rigorous um, exercise regimen.
1: Okay. So you upped your exercise? (laughs) That I did, yes. Right. because But you did it without fear. Most people with have pain when they exercise, uh, they get worse because they're doing the exercise because they think they they should, but they're doing it with fear. They're doing it with the belief that the exercise is damaging them, hurting them, or that these, these movements will cause pain. So what we're doing is we're getting people to understand that they're not damaged, they're not broken, and get them to exercise to do those things, all the while talking to their brain and talking to themselves saying, this is fine. I'm okay. This won't bother me. I'll get through this, there's no problem. The pain doesn't matter, I don't care about the pain, I'm just reducing the fear of pain. And over time, the brain will learn to turn off the pain mechanism. So it's a learning process and it's a repetitive, just like learning how to do drum and guitar licks, it's learning how to stop the pain, learning to turn off the fear mechanism in the brain. That's the second component of the treatment.
0: So now I want to talk a little bit about this rewiring the brain um right. and it also has to do with as one of the things that really resonated with me in Sarno's book is also recognizing repressed emotions in particular rage that was that was his big one right. um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about the importance of free-riding and journaling
1: so I mentioned the first component of treatment is education understanding it the second is changing the fear and reducing the fear mechanism in the brain the third one is dealing with emotions so it turns out that emotions and stress are the cause of this underlying or the underlying cause of this in the first place now sometimes there's a stressful situation that triggers a pain and the stressful situation gets resolved, and people don't really need, it's not the major, a major ongoing issue. And so they can turn off the pain simply by understanding it and by changing their relationship to it. Sometimes the pain occurs with an, in, starts with a physical injury, and the injury heals, but the person is worried about the pain, worried about it, and begins to, as you pointed out, obsess about it, which is common. And then it continues. So it's really not a huge emotional, underlying emotional issue. So not everybody needs emotional processing work to get better. But people who've had difficulties in life, who've been abused as children, neglected, abandoned, divorced, parental death, as in your situation, uh, people who've had an ongoing situation in their life, such as a difficult job or or marriage or... uh, you know, stuff going on in their family, all those things can really continue activating these danger alarm mechanisms in the brain. Because as I said, emotional trauma or injury activates the exact same area, danger area of the brain as does physical injury. So in those situations, yes, it's important for those folks to deal somehow with the emotional issues that have have been in the past or are going on in their life. And there's a variety of ways to do that. One way is by writing. So there's this whole field of what's called expressive writing. And there's several methods. These are all detailed in Dr. Sarno's books and in my book and other people's books on how to do writing, writing about emotional issues, writing, sending letter, writing letters that you don't send writing dialogues, all sorts of stuff to take these feelings, put them out on paper as opposed to just stuffing them inside, whether it's anger, whether it's guilt, whether it's uh, fear, whether it's sadness, getting those out on paper, oftentimes you can write and then shred it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) so Nobody has to read it. You can say anything you want. So that's one method of doing emotional processing.
0: I, I filled up notebook after
1: notebook. <clears really? <clears
0: <throat> just to just to just to throw them away.
1: You know, when they're wow. when they're finished. Um I didn't feel to do that. What was that like? What was that process like for you?
0: Oh my gosh. It's it's hard to put in words. It absolutely is, other than the, the the trite things that you might say, like, oh my gosh, it's it's unburdening unburdening, it's freeing. It's also it's very intellectually stimulating from the standpoint of you are uncovering some things that sometimes you forgot were even there, mm-hmm. and it's so it's enlightening as well. There's it's all there's all it's almost impossible to describe, and I think everybody would have their own personal um, description of how it made them feel. But you know, at first there are times when you start doing it that it's difficult. It's difficult to do that. It's very challenging. But I mean, I attribute that to being one of the one of the things that got me over the hump and continues even to this day to be a valuable aspect in, in keeping me on the, the right path. Which mm. which actually I I want to ask you this. Is it possible to overdo certain aspects of that? In other words, is it possible to overdo some overdo some of this expressive writing to the standpoint to where it could even be, we'll say detrimental?
1: Yes, absolutely. And guess who guess who tends guess what kind of people tend to overdo it?
0: Obsessive musicians.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Perfectionistic people. And some people I gotta say, like, hey, you're doing you're doing way too much work to get better. Because the bottom line for getting better, if to put it the most in the most succinct form, is to say, stop worrying about the pain, start living your life. It interesting. So, Simplest, simplest way to understand this. And so some people, it's like they want to try too hard, do too much writing, do too much meditating, do too, they're, instead of turning their life over to learning how to play their instrument, they're turning their life over how to cure themselves, which is too much. In some
0: cases, I know that you have some patients, Dr. Sarno talked about it as well, that were extreme cases. And that some of the things that are in the book, such as the the expressive writing and writing letters and that type thing, some folks needed a little more than that. They needed straight up psychotherapy. Right. In your practice, what percentage of people do you see that need more than what you can offer
1: them? It's a... Dr. Sarno thought it was around the 10 to 15% range. Uh, I think that's relatively accurate. Uh, but I've also, in my practice, I've also uh, learned how to do a short form of psychotherapy, mm-hmm. an emotional processing work that's in my book. That, And it's... It's, it's like taking the expressive writing, but taking it to a new level. And uh, it's, it's a little too complicated to talk too, too much detail about, but it's basically allowing people to experience, express, and release powerful emotions in a verbal sense, in a, in a mm-hmm. fantasy sense. Uh, it's, in a way, it's re-scripting some of their me- emotional memories. And it's a a form of therapy which is now becoming more widely known, and it's been shown to be more effective than the older forms of talk therapy that people have been using. And We just published a research study using this emotional processing method compared to standard cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's the first study to show that one psychological intervention for chronic pain is actually superior to another. So we're... We're excited about that work and that study, and that was just published last month.
0: That is incredibly interesting. Uh, and, and when we get a little more toward the end of the show, if that paper is available somewhere, I would certainly like for you to let the audience know where they can read that.
1: I think that's yeah, it was it was published in the journal called Pain uh, this year, and uh, it's on fibromyalgia. We used people with fibromyalgia. We used or we we used this mm-hmm. therapy for people with fibromyalgia.
0: Um in your practice, what percentage of your diagnosed MBS patients get, if not total relief, at least a good amount of relief?
1: We uh, the, the research that we've done shows that uh, in, in one study we did, roughly a little more than 50% of people had dramatic, almost no more pain. Two-thirds of people, 67 roughly percent, had significant amount of pain loss, pain reduction. Uh, So the numbers are pretty good. And these are people who've had average amount of pain for nine years, average duration of pain for nine years. A really long, you know, people with severe and chronic pain. We're now doing another research study at the University of Colorado with a very well-known and uh, excellent uh, neuroscience brain imager, and we're doing functional MRIs of the brain, which is watching the activity of the brain in real time, in pre and post people with back pain. And so far, we've randomized 16 people in this study to the mind-body treatment arm that we're doing, and two things are interesting. Number one, all 16 of those have had mind-body syndrome. All 16 of the first people who with back pain have actually not had a problem in their back. And the the percentage of people who are going pain-free or virtually pain-free is is, is about 75%. This is really a powerful treatment for the majority of people. And these are people who people other doctors would give up on. Right. And say there's nothing we can do.
0: So... For the folks that do get relief, what do you recommend them to do if
1: they have a relapse? You want to use common sense. You want to first think about what's going on. Is there something in my body that I just injure myself? Or is it something in my brain that's producing this pain or this symptom? And that's what I did the other day when I had foot pain when I got on the treadmill. I first thought, did I hurt myself? guess not. You know, what's going on? And sometimes you need to go to a doctor and say, hey, is there something wrong? But you also have to think at the same time, is this my brain? Is there something going on in my life? Is there something that's bothering me? Is this a message that my brain is sending me? And our brains do that all the time. So what the story I like to tell is I saw a woman who had a pain in her butt, butt, right in her butt, and I asked her when it started. She said, when my husband retired. So... (laughs) You know, that was a message her brain was giving her.
0: Interesting. I mean, that's just tremendous. I know that with your book, there was a CD that came in there that had some meditations that were in there. So that's obviously something that you recommend as well. How do you feel about yoga or other mindfulness practices as well?
1: Yeah. Um, Anything that people can do to calm their brain, to reduce the fear and danger alarm mechanism is going to be helpful. So meditation, mindfulness, yoga. Yoga is great because it combines mindfulness, meditation type work and physical activity. So one of the things I'm asking people to do is to move and and use their bodies without fear. What I want them to do is retrain their brain to be able to use their body. So when I had low back pain several years ago, every time I'd Every morning, I'd wake up, pick the newspaper off the porch, and I'd have back pain when I bent over. When I realized that my back wasn't the problem, what I did was I, every time I bent over, I just mentally said to myself, this is fine. I'm not in danger. There's nothing wrong. This is fine. You're fine. Over and over again. And then after a few months, my brain learned that that was fine. I was laying down a new track. It's like learning a new new lick. He's like learning how to, how to, play and play a new instrument. It's it's just training the brain.
0: I feel quite sure that we're going to have some listeners that this has resonated with. And one of the things that I had issues with, even living in a city of six million people in Atlanta, is trying to find either a physician or some kind of a psychotherapist, someone that also subscribed to this. Do you right. recommend or can you tell us about a list or possibly some sort of directory of physicians that specialize in MBS TMS uh, that are local to some folks that they can see- seek out?
1: Right. That's a great question. We, have, we need way more doctors, way more therapists who do this work. The best resource that I refer people to is the TMS Wiki, so it's TMSWiki.org. It's a nonprofit, peer-run website. Uh, it's got a list of practitioners all around the country, world as well, and it's got a ton of resources on it. It's got a one of the one of my colleagues I work with and I teach with is Alan Gordon, and. Uh, Alan uh, has put up there a 21-day recovery program. It's all free. It's right online on that website. It's great. Uh, there's re- there's uh, links to all the books that people have written. I've written a couple books, but there's many other books that people have written on the subject, including, of course, Dr. Sarno's books. Uh, we're doing trainings. Uh, we we've got a training, two trainings coming up this year for professionals. So if there's a Anybody's listening who knows a therapist or a coach or a massage therapist or a physician or a nurse or a physical therapist or a psychologist or a social worker wants to learn how to do this work, we have a two-day training coming up in January in California and then another one in May in Detroit. And those are listed on my website, which is Got
0: That's the perfect segue for me <laughs> to ask you as well if there are any other things that you would like like to promote, such as books, even your own practice?
1: Well, yeah, I see people in Detroit, and people do fly in to see me from all around the country because, unfortunately, there's not enough physicians who do this work. Uh, so I'm always happy to, to help people uh, You know, by seeing them. Uh, I answer emails by people who have questions about this work. I do that for free. Uh, we're training people. Um, My website is unlearnyourpain.com. My books are Unlearn Your Pain and Unlearn Your Anxiety and Depression. So those are available online. And uh, I've got a new book coming out for professionals on how to do this work, co-authored with a psychiatrist from Canada, Dr. Alan Abbas, that I'm working with. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on, a lot of stuff that's happening. More and more people are learning about this. And it's a paradigm shift that's got to happen. Because we're going down, we're spending, we're spending $600 billion a year just on back pain in this country. And a lot of that is needless expense, unnecessary surgery, unnecessary injections. There's no research study that's ever been done to show that surgery is better than non-surgery for back pain. Studies on injections for back pain show they're not any better than placebo injections for the most part. This is amazing what we're doing and how we're medicalizing so many problems that can be relatively easily fixed by understanding the neuroscience of how the brain works. So this is a this is a brand new era. These ideas you can't keep a good idea down forever, but it takes the paradigms don't shift easily right? Paradigms Mm -hmm. just don't shift. It took a long time for people to realize that hand-washing was good. It took a long time to realize that smoking was bad. It took a long time to realize that uh, the theory of plate tectonics was real, that, you know, our continents, all that stuff was resisted. The the fact that the earth is round was resisted, right? And this is just another paradigm shift that's going to happen eventually.
0: Howard, I can't even begin to tell you how I, I, I'm having problems with the words, how thrilled I am to first have met you to, uh, through your work, and of course now personally having met you, but more importantly, sharing this message uh, with the listeners. I, I can't begin to even put into words the importance of this topic is and getting it out on the table, because if we can just get a person or two who is suffering from chronic pain to look into this, see the validity of it, and then put it into practice. The grassroots movement of this is really, this is really where it
1: grows. There's There's millions of people suffering with chronic pain. And obviously we have a huge opioid epidemic, which is a national disaster. And I mean, think about, you know, I mean, how much difference has this made in your life going from, Racked in pain obsessing about pain not worried about if you're going to be able to play your play your instrument ever again to being pain free and enjoying your life enjoying you know music i mean how much you know what price tag can you put on that
0: you can't and that's the point dr howard Schubiner, go to his website earnlearnyourpain.com check out his books. You will be much richer in life for it. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: It's a true pleasure, Phil. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: It's my sincerest hope that you enjoyed this show. And if you are suffering from chronic pain or know someone that is suffering from chronic pain, that you got something out of it and are taking the proper steps to rid yourself of it. I am living proof that you do not, repeat, do not need to put up with chronic pain no matter what any traditional doctors say. There is an answer out there. There is a cure. As Dr. Schubiner said toward the end of the show, reach out to him. He's more than happy to respond to you. You can find him at his website, unlearnyourpain.com. You can also make an appointment if you're in the Detroit area to go by his office. He says he has people come from all over the world to see him. So he is wide open and more than happy to help. That is his life's mission and his life's work. All right, folks, as we are powering down for 2017, this is going to be our last interview of the year. We'll have a couple of really cool surprises coming up for you in the next week or so, along with some massive major announcements. That's right. There's going to be some really cool stuff coming up in 2018. So please stand by. Keep your ear close to the ground. We're going to announce it on some shows. We're going to do a couple of special announcements uh, as well, including, of course, our traditional social media blasts. So with that in mind, you can always stay in touch with us. You can email us. We love hearing from you. Our email address is drummersweeklygroovecast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us through social media. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Groovecast, And our Twitter is at DWGroovecast, or if you are the traditional OG twitter.com forward slash DWGroovecast. Lastly, we would love it if you would swing by iTunes the next time you're in Apple. Leave us a short written review. It helps our show relate to other people looking for this type of content. It certainly helps us out a lot. Just a short written review, and we would be so happy. All right, that is going to do it. So on behalf of John, this is Phil and Dr. Howard Schubener. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to seeing you soon.